There we go. Hello. Now I, now I can hear you because you, my, you know, here's the thing, Ben. I don't know. I don't know how much you know about microphones, but um, they are pretty good at being microphones, but they're not very good as speakers. Um, but Zoom will allow you to select them as a speaker. Well, this is true. And they they don't go go the right way. They're they're an they're an inny, not an out. They don't are they um do, do they jiggle jiggle <laughs> or do they or do they fold? I don't know. That song, that song, oh. man, is on all over my TikTok. It, it's too much, it's too much, right? Well, I, you know, it was okay. It's a it's a very catchy tune, as the kids say. Um, yeah, it, it it really is. Um it, it makes my kids laugh. Um they they think it's very it's very catchy, they th they think it's awesome. Um, and the, the, they played, a, they played a lot. We, we've been, we, we, uh, we're, we're a full TikTok family now. Well, okay. I shouldn't say that three of us are one, one is very much steeped in the world of Instagram um, exclusively, <laughs> well, you know, is, is, is it, is Instagram, is Instagram really any different than TikTok? I, it, are, are these all i mean these things are all different but they're all the same they're all the same right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, hey, I i i gotta i, oh, go I agree no no okay. that, was, that was all i was gonna say i agree oh, okay um so i have a i have a technical question Ooh. for you yeah go ahead um, and it involves headphones and um microphones so okay okay i am using my um big boys as i call them yep. because yep. i couldn't ever remember which one the, the big ones you know big the big, boys the big uh big uh, headphones big boys um and i know you use yours but you you attach them to the microphone I plug them in yeah yeah so what how, tell me tell me tell me how to get one of those plug plugins I'll, um, I'll send you that, a link to one send me a link yeah but we'll yeah. put it in the show notes because yeah. i i really i i do um i i think I, I think it might be better i mean you've told me it's, it's better. better right there's yeah. no lag or something no no lag and okay. um and oh, it, and it, and you can all and then you can hear your own you know whether you're loud or soft i know whether i'm loud or soft because i got the transparency mode on yeah so it, oh okay well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's actually more than that. No, no, I say that I can hear my voice too. I just checked because mm. I just turned it all the way down, and it's okay. more, yeah. So that that's the part that I need. I want to hear. Okay. I want it to be a monitor as well. Right, right, right. Because because otherwise you won't know if you're like too close or too far away. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's a lightning plug to headphones. Right. Um, but it's none of those. I think it's, I think Mac makes it. Not Mac. Mac. Tim Apple? Tim <laughs> Apple makes it? Mac. Mr. Mac. Mr. Paul McCartney. Mac. Mac. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'll send it. I'll, I'll send it okay. to you because okay, it's, you. it works really, really well. Also, you can use the same connector when you get on a plane if you travel ever. Oh. Because it'll plug yeah. your, your lightning. Yeah. Your lightning into your, in, into the thing that they've got in the, in the in the thing you're thinking oh, yeah. your thing yeah so that way you don't have to use uh, bluetooth right right yeah which now on your um can you can you use bluetooth on a like in in the planes you, not not bluetooth I, to your ipad but you know the things where they've got you got a screen in the back of your seat oh, well that, oh that i don't know yeah that i don't know i, I never watch those movies on the plane i'm i'm well, always just working <laughs> so i don't watch the movies on the plane the, okay. No, no shade, no lemonade, as they say. 
But what I do like to do sometimes is I like I like having news in the background. And uh, sometimes mm. the TV in the aeroplane is live television. <laughs> See what I've done here? There's a lot of words there. Aeroplane. Aeroplane. Is that how you get places? You fly on an aeroplane? I fly on an aeroplane. <laughs> an aeroplane. Yeah. My, um, yeah, the, um, <laughs> there's, there's a really good Red Hot Chili Peppers song about aeroplane. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, aeroplane. Cause they say it over and over again. I think it's just called aeroplane. Okay. We're linking to this. You're going to love it. It's not, uh oh. Gosh, that was something else. It's not roller roller coaster of love, which is another really good, um, I think, funny Red Hot Chili Pepper song. But this is Aeroplane. Okay, yes, Aeroplane. They and they 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 spell it just like you say it, right? <laughs> That's I. So much of um, of my world is is like repeating things that I think are funny from other things that people have said, and then just oh yeah using it in my yeah. vernacular right like yeah. that's that's where arrow that's why i said aeroplane yeah, um, or, and, or or bluetooth i just or, you know i just i don't bluetooth. know if you caught that when i put that in there uh, uh, you know but uh yeah bluetooth still 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 makes me laugh it's still it's still funny i do like to use the word television more than tv <laughs> i just i don't know why huh. I, i'm i'm old-fashioned that way yeah um i think there there are times where yeah, I just I I, pref- I just prefer that word. So I'm I'm hmm. I'm constantly. It's not Canadian or anything like that. It's not like pencil crayons because you're just weird. That's all. I'm just weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, aeroplane. Anyway, so yeah, this connector will allow you to plug into the aeroplane live TV, and you can watch um, the uh, January sixth committee, uh, which hmm. which I did on on an aeroplane recently. Hmm. Um, how, and how, how how is that? I, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm only. I'm following January sixth through uh, podcasts. Well, so I, I'm following January sixth and watching Veep at the same time. <laughs> do you get often get confused? I do. I really. I Wait, really. Was that a, really was do. That in a Veep or was that January sixth? Yeah, yeah. And and I have. I don't know. Did we talk about Veep already? Like on Food Safety Talk? I'm pretty. I'm. I'm. I'm pretty sure. I don't know for sure. It's again. It's one of those shows that my television does not get. But so. Oh, but speaking of things, my television does get now, um, or my my phone gets. I started watching Shorzy. Oh well, excellent. And and thoughts. What are your What are your thoughts? I think it's pretty good. It's it's not as good as Letter Kenny. It's not. Um, but I've only made it through one episode so far. Mm. So. It gets better. One episode, mm. kind of like the first letter, Kenny, didn't really hit it for me. Mm. Uh, episodes two and three, I really liked. Okay, um, well, that's I like the characters. I and yeah. I like. I mean, I like the. I like the uh, like very extensive use of uh, natives. I mean, I think that's brilliant. Indigenous people. I think uh, Don's. Uh, I think they know. call them natives. They do. They do. Oh, okay. They oh, do. Is, that, is that is that is that should we not call them? Natives? I'm sorry. I don't know. I I I'm I go with the, the indigenous people is really where I go. Um, cause I think that is the politically correct term, but yeah, I think I'm woke. I'm, I'm the woke, I'm the wokest of us. Uh, does your, does your mind fold? Yeah. <laughs> or is it jingle jangle? So jingle sorry. jangle. Oh, um, uh, so yeah, Shorzy, Shorzy's pretty good. Um, what was, I was going to tell you something else, but oh no, Veep. So, um, really, I think it's, I think Merlin, you know, listen, listening to, he has recently talked about rewatching Veep. Oh, Veep. Yes. And I, um, 
I started rewatching it, never made it past like season one. And and so now I'm, 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 I think I'm, I just started season five. Um, but I don't actually remember watching it in the first place. Like, oh, like right, I certainly right. know, I just don't remember these, any of these episodes. Yeah. Um, so th- there is an entire, so not no spoiler alert. Cause Don, it is from 2013. Someone mm-hmm. in a campaign does something bad. That's illegal. And there is um, a congressional inquiry into it. And I watched that episode at the same time that the January 6th congressional inquiry is going on. And it was very, it's very funny. It, I mean, all of it. Well, speak, speaking of speaking of spoilers for media, um, I, I was at a conference yesterday where um, somebody, you know, uh, spoiled the end of uh, Soylent Green for people. Oh, gosh. It's... <laughs> Does it give them the poops? Oh no, that's Soylent. And we're going to get different, 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 different thing. Were there, were there people that were really upset? I don't think, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it it, well, it was, it was kind of a younger crowd too. So like half people didn't even know what Soylent Green the movie was. So, oh, and and the other half knew that Soylent Green is spoiler alert people. So I watched Soylent Green can this be right like in high school as like part of a an english class would that be right like do you sure sure the, why not i mean i i think it's that that's where it that's where i remember oh do you know so in the green it's the year 2020 that's what it says that's it, that's that's why the person was talking about it on uh, in their in their oh, remarks phenomenal so, it's the year yeah. 20, i didn't even realize that yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I remember like I think we watched it in I don't know grade eleven. That's what we call it in in, uh, in Canada, eleventh grade here in mm. in the United States. Um, eleven uh, grade eleven English or or mm. something like that. We also read a, a book, that, you know, that I really enjoyed that I will never read again. Um, about uh, about like a nuclear destruction and a post post-apocalyptic um world called the chrysalids are you familiar mm. with that book i think i am it was good i think it was the same it was the same class like i think we, we I, yeah for for whatever reason i i equate those two things together hmm. so something about soiling green that i did not know is that it's based on a novel by Harry Harrison, which I have not read, but I have read many, many things by Harry Harrison because he uh, had this wonderful science fiction character called the Stainless Steel Rat, um, uh, who I, and I really enjoyed reading uh, his his uh, books about Stainless Steel Rat. So, oh, well, that's really cool. Um, yeah. What what about the Stainless Steel? Could you give me some more? <laughs> could you give me some more information about that? Not to put you on the spot about the Stainless Steel Rat, but is it? Well, so here's the thing, Ben. I have Wikipedia open. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, James Boulevard Degrees, alias uh, Slippery Jim and the Stainless Steel Rat, is a fictional character and a series in a well, in a comic, in a comics, comic science fiction novels. Okay, Harry Harrison. All right, interesting. Wouldn't call them comic, but yeah. So he's uh, he's a futuristic con man, thief, and all round rascal. He's charming and quick witted. He's a master of disguise and martial arts accomplished bank robber criminal mastermind and it, go, and it goes on from there so you can see why it appealed to 13 year old me that sounds awesome <laughs> i wanted to be all those things right right apparently well so uh this uh, uh, like plays into things a little bit that are happening in my life 
Um, don't don't be creepy, uh, people, which is one of one of my favorite uh, podcast terms. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm a little bit into science fiction and I would say that the little bit part about science fiction is like the, yeah, you know, we've talked on, on this podcast about Marvel cinematic universe and star Wars and things that my kids are into. And certainly I was into, but then left and have come back. So my, what my kids have discovered, and I've just sent you a link to this, Don, that there is a comic-con coming to Raleigh called galaxy con. And it says it's actually I, I've I've already screwed it up, Don. Because if you read the website, it says Galaxy Con Raleigh is more than a Comic Con. Oh well, I okay. thought it was a Comic Con, and I've never been to a Comic Con before. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a four day festival of fandom with celebrities, mm-hmm. artists, writers, voice actors, cosplayers, entertainers, creators, wrestlers. That, that that's a weird one. That's it turns out. Yeah. Uh, fan groups, panelists, and people like you. Um, and so my uh, my kid, my kid, uh, my younger kid was like, I want to go to this. We're going. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to a what I would have just described again incorrectly as as a Comic-Con. I'm going to mm. more than a Comic-Con, Don. Mm. I'm going to Comic-Con Plus. Con- Gal- Galaxy Con Raleigh. Galaxy Con Raleigh. So it's July. Yeah. This we're not making this a meetup, but if anybody wants to go, it is July 28th to 31st. I will not be revealing which day I will be going. So um not that anybody I don't know, not that anybody wants to see me, but I have I, I'm not revealing that information, Don, because I'm not sure which day I'm going yet. Because it also okay. is very close to um IAFP and there's a little oh, bit is. of a conflict conflicting Ooh, yes. situation. Yes. So so I'm probably going either Thursday or Friday, so I can be at, at IAFP on Saturday. Okay. Um, have you ever been to a, I, I, I'm not, I'm like 90% sure I know the answer to this, but the 10% of me has peaked. Um, have you ever been to a Comic-Con, Don? Uh, well, Ben, the answer is I have probably been, I probably attended a comic book convention before you were born. Oh, but Okay. Fair enough, but was it Comic Con style, like where there are panels and um, autographs? Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Go. C- so, continue. so continue. Yeah. On. So I. So, oh, who was it? Was uh, Jim Steranko was there? Al Milgram was there. I'm not sure if this is all the same year, um, but yeah. So I attended the Ithaca uh, Comic Con called Ithacon. Um, back in the day, uh, that was where I learned to play Dungeons and Dragons, believe it or not. Um, yeah. So yeah. was, is there a t-shirt that says Ithacon is gorgeous? Because that would be the greatest t-shirt crossover, the most ambitious crossover ever, uh, t-shirt crossover ever. <laughs> I don't think so. And I, in fact, in the days of Ithacon, I'm not sure that we even knew that Ithaca was gorgeous. Oh, well, I'm. Now that I'm looking at Comic a Galaxy Con here, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've jumped over all of the people that my kid told me were, were coming. And I'm going to give you names here. Um uh Giancarlo Esposito. Um, do you know do you know who that is? Nope. He he was in Breaking Bad, but okay. he was also in The Mandalorian as Moff Gideon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, my my kid's very excited about that. Katie Sakov, who also was in um, Clone Wars, Star Wars, Rebels, and The Mandalorian, because he's all he's all into the Mandalorian. Um, 
He also told me about John Glover, who um, is um, I, probably, where, where would he have known him from? Um, maybe from Smallville? I don't know. He, he was just giving me a bunch of names. Um, but names that he skipped over, Don, which would have mm-hmm. been very important to get me there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he told me about Sean Gunn was coming. Uh, he, uh, Alan Ruck, um, you may know him as uh, Ferris's friend, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. He was also in Speed. Uh, he was also in Star Trek Next Generations as Captain Harriman. Anyway, th- those were not the names that that I would have got me excited. He, to- he totally missed telling me that Kevin Smith is going to be there. Oh. From, yeah. I, like that would have, I, I would have been way more excited to go. So now I may have to change my, my IAFP plans because he's oh, only no. appearing on Saturday. There's oh, an no. ultimate clerk's experience that includes Kevin Smith and a, and a panel of others included, including Jay of Jay and silent Bob. Nice. Yeah. This is a whole thing. Huh? Um, and then Don for, for you, <laughs> <laughs> Captain James C. Kirk, himself will be there um i'm pretty sure he is a fictional character do you mean the actor who plays um i, I think play, well there, there's been several now so yes well the the original also tj hooker from <laughs> tj hooker ah. william shatner william shatner will be there brent spiner will be oh, there yes this is like these are this names is a big deal yeah yeah it's, this is no this is no uh this is no minor uh minor event no, this is no uh, this is no Ithaca comic comic convention. Well, now I I want you to know that uh, the Comic Book Club of Ithaca, which is apparently, according to their website, the longest running comic book club in the country. Okay, whoa, um, grew out of a middle school comic book club and was formally established in 1975. And I was one of the founding members. So how about that? The first Ithacon took place in 1976, and featured Hang on. guests. Yes. Hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's back this up. The mm-hmm. longest running, running comic book club in the country. And you're a founding member. And founding, I was a founding member. Yes. Do, do you have a, do you have like you a, don't have a certificate or any proof of this? <laughs> is there like, if you went is, this year, would there be name tags like a uh, 20 year sustaining member? Oh, that's a good year? question. Because you a good question because I would, would certainly qualify. Yeah, well, you would qualify as founding member, right? Right. Well, this this seems like something we need to. We, for, well, first of know, all, the, we we would be happy to do a live food safety talk at the Ithaca Comic Book Convention. Um, if if anybody wanted to invite us, right? Like I would come. Yes. To this. <laughs> it's a con. The comic. This is a phenomenal website. Oh, see now, um, yeah, see the comic book club of Ithaca. The uh, the treasurer and webmaster is Bill Turner, who would probably recognize me. Um, yeah. So, and you know, he's been around a long time because he has a uh, Cornell.edu address that's his initials plus the number one. Wow. Um. Okay, celebrating forty five years. We missed it. It was in April. Mm, yeah. Yep. Don, did you know that Ithacon is now organized and run by the students of the Ithaca College School of Business course, Management 29, 
800 I learned I, I learned I learned this moments ago. <laughs> we believe this course to be unique in the US that allows students to take full responsibility for an actual ongoing convention. Students assume various roles in planning, promoting, and managing the convention. Will those of us who have been involved for many years shift to mentoring roles? This is phenomenal. Okay. This is I think we need to we, I think we need to go next year. I'm I'm in, Don. All right. The, like, let's put this. Yes, you should come in costume. <laughs> it grew out of a middle school comic book club. Yes. Your your middle yes. school. Yes. Yeah. yes. Was this was it um George H. Washington Middle School? What which uh which middle school did you go to? Is it Henry? Oh, um, well Henry I, I went I middle school. Th those are not those are not names <laughs> of schools. You're just making stuff up. I am um, I, I, I I believe it was well, it was DeWitt, it was DeWitt Junior High. Mm. Um which is became a middle school when we didn't have junior highs anymore. So, yeah, but it was a, it actually came out of a junior high school. I think it was a junior high school at the time. So that, that's a that's an error on the website. But okay, now, okay. well, it's a middle school, junior high, right? That's to yeah. me, that's a, well, the, yeah. Um, the and, first well, thing, and you know, and yeah, and the other middle school is is Boynton, and and that is listed. But I don't, I think oh. it came. Well, I don't know. Maybe it came out of a Boynton. Anyway, I I, I went to do it. Not well, it has had yeah. several homes. So yeah, it doesn't say that yeah. it came. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mostly remember when it was at the, the uh, GIAC. Okay. The, that stands for Greater Ithaca Activity Center. Now it says the first Ithacon took place in 1976 and featured two guests. Can you name, can you well, name those I, two guests? I want, I want to say Al, Al Milgram and uh, Jim Steranko, but I could be wrong. Huh. And, and, and who? And who are they? Could you, can you help me with they? this? They are artists. They are comic book artists. Okay. This I feel like I'm I'm I've pushed this a long way here. I but this is fascinating. Okay, so the ten percent of me that would be surprised if you had been to a comic con is thoroughly surprised. Love this, um, and I'd love to go do this. Like I I feel like this could be a um, a 2023 event. I will I, I will commit to coming to Ithaca. If you want to go to this, I don't know. I don't know. It seems kind of silly. I, I don't know. This seems really interesting. This is like, this is part of, this is really cool. Anyway, yeah. um, GalaxyCon, um, Kevin Smith, all, all people from Clerks, great, great stuff. Um, so I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and go and take my, take my kid. Um, well, that sounds like fun. It does sound like fun. Um, we, so I got a couple things going on that I wanted to, to tell you about. Besides going to uh, yep. the, uh, something that's greater than a Comic-Con? Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Uh, one one is, I just got back from your alma mater, 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 can't remember how to pronounce that correctly, University uh -huh. of Georgia. Okay. I was in- Oh, Athens. yes, you were there to stalk Caitlin and water her plants. Right, did not, did not see Caitlin, did not support her. Caitlin, our friend Caitlin Kasuli left town um and oh, if, uh, if, see if that's because she knew you were coming if, well, if only you had told her you weren't coming or had not let her in on your plan she wouldn't have had to leave town she would have been exactly she would have been there um but i got i went to this very cool um meeting something that i really haven't been part of before in i guess from an experience standpoint and mm -hmm. so i'm part of a an organizing committee 
of um, a, a few other uh, other folks, and I'll I'll name I'll name drop them here. Um, Allison Penn uh, from the University of Georgia, Carla Schwan from the University of Georgia, Ellen Shoemaker, who you know uh, from uh, our group here at NC State, and Kimberly Baker from Clemson University, um, among others. There are a lot of other folks that have been involved, but we're looking at, over the last 18 months, we've been working on this idea of building like an extension consortium to focus on consumer and retail and cottage food, home-based cottage food, food safety to share expertise across all of like the Southern extension systems. Nice. And yeah. And it was really cool. Like, I mean, we spent three days doing procedural things like how would we co-brand and what would a budget look like? And how would we share information? Like what, what, are, what are our needs and what are, what, what does every group have? Um, there's representation from like, I think it was like 11 different institutions. Um, and it, it was really, it was really, really cool. And it was, it was hard. Um, mm -hmm. like it was a different kind of brain space than, mm -hmm. you know, us, you and me, like messing around talking about food safety and Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but it was, I, I think there's, I think there's something really cool that's going to come out of this. Cool. Uh, yeah. And, and it was, so, so here's the. Here's the thing for our listeners, and I want to get your your thought on this because we, you know, your institution is really strong in food safety. There are institutions around you that may or may not have the same level of resources to to focus on food safety, and that's kind of what we're trying to manage, like create a way where a university that doesn't have a food safety extension specialist can call on another university for help in training their um, Th their agents and have like a formal way to do that. Like, not just like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good opportunity, but to be able to share some of the, the like issues across multiple institutions. And it's kind of like a multi-state project, but it's, but it's focused on extension and family consumer sciences. And there's nothing, we don't have anything like this in our region. Like, I didn't even know all of the people who are doing food safety at, a, you know, a handful of of these other land grant institutions. Cause we've just never like connected or collaborated and we run in kind of different circles, which is a, I think a little bit surprising, but then I guess uh, not really all that surprising. So it was, cool. yeah, it's been cool. It was really, really good. Um, the other thing is that I think my knees is very hurt and broken and I want to tell you about it because, because okay. I've, I've self-diagnosed it with help from a few people. Mm. I are any of them a doctor and by a doctor, I mean a medical doctor. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I will be going to a medical doctor. Um, I think relatively shortly, I believe I have something called a Baker's cyst in my oh, knee. Wow. Do you know anything about this? You ever heard about it? Is it something that Baker's get? It's, I think it's something that someone named Baker got or found. Okay. Yeah. It, um, so, so I've been, I run a lot. And I've been running more and more. I really enjoy it. And I believe based on my symptoms, I had something form in the back of my knee and it is now swelling all around my knee and the lower oh, end dear. of my leg. Oh yeah. dear. That and I can't run good at all. It's not good at all. So I got to go to the doctor, no. but wow. it is causing me to be, uh, I had a very um, reflective father's day. <laughs> Because uh -huh. I felt like I was like, I'm getting, this is the, 
this is maybe the first injury that I've that I've had that has like kept me from doing something physical exactly when I wanted to do something physical. Oh wow. And it really bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really like um psychologically impacted my day. And I'm still sort of dealing with it. So I just wanted to you as I share on many an episode, you are my um you're my therapist because I, I don't have a real therapist, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to share with you that I'm dealing with this thing and I hope I get better, but I've it's it's like it's a mental, there's a mental block going on in my head with this. Man. Yeah. Well, that, that sucks. So, it so does. yeah. So in, in exercise related news for me, um, I, I have a streak going of more than 800 days of hitting my step target. Uh, the app does let me miss a day every seven days. Uh, but I missed a day accidentally yesterday because I'm traveling. And so, um, Today I was obvious. Well, I was I was out of town yesterday, and today I was mostly in the car. So I'm going to have to work really hard to not miss my target for today. But um, well, but it's but I, but I'm not. I want you to know I'm not, as far as you know, walking during the podcast. That wouldn't bother me. <laughs> it might bother I, the I, listeners. It might bother the listeners. No, I'm I'm totally good. If you want to do that, I understand the the so much of my uh, um my 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 life and fitness. Over, like really since getting an Apple watch has been the gamification of doing all this stuff. I get, I get the like issue related to that. Um, so yeah. Oh, I, I want you to hit your, I, you close your circles, Don hit your goals. Yes. Do it, do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was a couple other things I want, want to talk about what's, what's going on with you. Where do you, where do you, where do you want to go? Oh, well, there's some stuff in the Dropbox. Yeah. Um, I do want to really talk about this lentil thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's start there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll go. You, you, uh, you co-host, uh, go ahead start, start here with the, oh. with the lentils. Okay. So uh, lentils are food and there's a problem with them right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, hold on. Sorry. Um, can I help yeah, you out so, with this? Yeah, no, well, yeah. I, now, no, I know I've got, I've got the, I've got the file open now. Um, so I will read to you uh, from a company called uh, Daily Harvest, uh, and they say an update on our voluntary recall of French lentil and leek crumbles. We want to make sure that you have the latest update on our voluntary recall of French lentil and I guess it's French lentil plus leek crumbles. Because it's a not, it has a plus symbol. Um, we are taking this very seriously and doing everything we can to get to the bottom of this. Your health and well-being are our top priority. Here are the steps we're taking. As soon as we receive re- reports suggesting a possible link, we took immediate action, launched a voluntary recall. We've reached out multiple times to consumers. I'm, I'm going to start, you know, abbreviating here. I'm not going to read every word. Um, instructing them to dispose and do not eat. Um, last thing we want is for anyone else to be impacted. Um, in, in parallel, we watched and we, we launched an investigation to identify root cause. Okay. We're working with closely with FDA, independent labs, working with a group of experts, microbiologists, toxin pathogen experts, as well as allergists, uh, all pathogen and toxicology results have come back negative so far. That's interesting. Um, directly in touch with consumers who reported adverse reactions, collecting data, Okay. Uh, if you have been impacted and haven't reached out, do so. Um, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so apparently 
um, some people that ate this uh, got sick and the company doesn't know why right in right now. Yeah. So I, from what I understand, this all came from Reddit. Don. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just sent you a link to the r slash um, daily harvest Reddit mm-hmm. world. What's it called? Reddit thread, Reddit. Uh, uh, called something. I think it's a, yeah. Group. Uh, it might be whatever. Subreddit, subreddit, subreddit. subreddit. The R, yeah, subreddit. Thanks. You know who's you know who's going crazy, right? Is Dane. Dane's head just explode. But <laughs> yes. don't worry, he's not. He's way behind on episodes. His head is exploding. He may nine he may weeks never, from now. He may never hear this. No, no, he may never hear this. Um. So, uh, the, I, I think the first one, the first post on Reddit, and I'm gonna read, um, read a little bit from this. Uh, was from eight days ago from from right now. So, like going back to, um, mid June. Okay. Uh, the, uh, post is extreme stomach pain, sickness from lentil and leek crumbles. Um, two weeks ago, I tried the crumbles for the first time that night. I had debilitating stomach pain, like nothing I had ever felt before. So bad. I go to the ER, um, after a CT scan, IV meds and a week on a bland diet, thought perhaps it was some sort of bug. Several days I tried a flatbread from them and I had a fever the next day. I thought it was related to the previous bout of illness. Fast forward to yesterday. I decided to try the crumbles again. Lo and behold, I'm awake, same horrible stomach pain. Here's the pick of the lot number and product. Um, unfortunately, a few hours after making this post, I also came down with a fever. Many other people have, um, you know, ta- uh, uh, sort of chimed in on this. It led to a recall um, a couple of days later uh, on this. Um, and th- the same poster, sorry, um, no, it's a different poster, um, said that they have been contacted by someone from the FDA. No one in the FDA has made an official statement, but the, I have been told that there is, quote, high concern for possible cross-contamination from someone at the FDA, which seems like a very odd FDA thing to say, um, yes. right? So um, <clears throat> specifically, it seems like a number of people may also been affected by flatbreads. In addition to the lentil crumbles, husband ate the flatbreads, was hospitalized three separate times. Uh, FDA has our crumbles now. Um, an FDA investigator came to our home, which is the right term, right? FDA investigator, mm-hmm. um, uh, to pick up our lentil crumbles, um, a- anyway, uh, there, the, we spoke to the investigator regarding the possibility of aflatoxins. Hmm. Don, we've talked about aflatoxins is related to another, um, weird unsolved, um, illness. Um, uh, yeah. So this, this is really interesting. And I think it's, um, I kind of, I kind of commend daily harvest for what they've done with the keeping people in the loop about, what they're doing and what their actions are. Um, did you, I don't think you read from, did you read from the update that I put in there from yesterday? I, um, yeah, yes, I was reading from okay. the document that you put in the Dropbox. The one that says, here are the steps we're, we are taking. Yes. Reach out. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's right. Well, I was looking at the, at the thread. We're doing everything we can as quickly as we can to identify the root cause. Um, yeah. So, so what are your, what are your thoughts here? What's, what's going on? Well, my, my first reaction is that it's a phytotoxin, right? So we know that lentils, um, many plant foods, not just lentils, but there are many plant foods that have toxic agents in them. And when we cook those foods, we inactivate those toxins. Right. Um, and so that was my first guess. And I, I did, I did find an article on Google scholar 
I'm having trouble finding it again. Again, now I should have, I should have saved it, but um, <clears throat> my, my recollection from when I was quickly Googling about this is that it's a pretty stable toxin. And so you really have to cook the heck out of the lentils. And so my guess is that there was just somehow a batch of lentils that didn't get properly cooked. That that's my first simple guess. But I mean, really what we need is we need to get lentils that made people sick from their homes and, and get them to a, a lab. And it sounds like maybe that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, um, that it certainly sounds like, like that. And I, do you remember, we talked about, well, I think we've talked about it on a number of episodes, but Soylent seemed to have something similar to this, you know, call back to Soylent Green, but there was Reddit threads about pooping from Soylent. And, and I think it was based on some change in formulation in, in that product. Um, and a, and a, a different sort of pro, not a, not a phytotoxin, but a protein source that led to some, um, some issues related to, you know, just gastro issues. That was the, the thought. Uh, and then they, they, I believe they changed the, the source and, and all the problems went away. Something, hmm. something along those lines. The, so is it, we we did an episode on, red, I think it was red kidney beans, right? On right. phytohemagglutinin. Yep. Yep. And is that <laughs> is that the same thing? Is it a lectin like I that? Don't, I don't know. I I wish I'd save that Google Scholar article. It would make me look a lot smarter. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, lectins, not lentils. Was this the right thing? I think I found. Um. Lentils. I just found a paper here. Maybe this is what you're looking for. Um, looking for lectin activity in commonly consumed plant-based foods, calling for method harmonization and risk assessment. No, that, that wasn't it, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll I'll keep looking. Because it seems like the lentils here, this, yeah, the, they, they certainly in raw material have some um some lectins from what i can what i read i didn't do a lot of homework on this one sorry don oh no i picked it so yeah well and then i saw it i just thought that they, i feel like this is one where the company's done a pretty good job of communicating and i think that like not knowing what the problem is and then recalling everything probably they needed to because it's a different kind of uh company um, just that they are the only way to get their foods is direct sales. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, maybe it was something, you know, something else or something else within the, um, the supply chain, but they're all, and they're also a relatively new kind of format of company. So I think it was the right, it was just the right call business-wise to do this too. Yeah. And I thought their communication was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they kept calling it a voluntary recall, which, but I guess it, it technically it is. So that's not incorrect. So. Yeah. Well, and like the, I, I, I just think the all pathogen and toxicology results have come back negative so far, but we're continuing to do testing and we'll keep you updated. Right. Like those are good right. messages. We're not, it's not a, Hey, it's not us. Go, go away. Can right. I, can I like tell other you? companies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Can I, can I tell you something that I heard that it's, it's like, um, I'm going to do things to protect the innocent about, sure. um, 
and 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 the guilty but about uh, the lucky charm stuff that we've talked about oh yeah go for it that there's some folks at some some agencies that think that it's um nor- seasonal norovirus because of mm. the location of where the reports have been interesting mm-hmm um, I don't know, right? Like may, maybe, maybe they're looking at data that we don't, we can't look at because right. these are folks at agencies that have that data. And I, I've just heard that this is stuff that they've talked about on, on, on some calls that are, you know, semi confidential. I was not on them, so I mm-hmm. don't feel like I'm breaking any of this confidentiality, but I wonder, like, if you look at this compared to what we're seeing with, um, lucky charms, is it, is it the, is it something similar, right? I, like, well, it doesn't. At least that one Reddit post, it doesn't sound like it. It does. Right? Yeah, I agree. But uh, who knows? <clears throat> it's certainly made a lot of. Um, th- this has led to a lot of public discussion. There's a lot of a lot of people yeah. are talking about those. Yeah, and you know, like let, let's yeah. So let's talk about this norovirus thing. Like a lot of people get norovirus. A lot of people eat Lucky Charms. You know, what are the chances are that see and the, but the problem is, and this is where it would be good to have to reach out to um Patrick. Yeah, yeah, Patrick from yep. Quaid. Yes, Patrick Quaid. Quaid from from I Was Poisoned, because when he has previously reached out to us and, and to talk about signal to noise, right? And according to my recollection of the last email he sent to us, it looks like you know, if, if it was just, if it was seasonal norovirus, then people would be getting seasonal norovirus. Um, there wouldn't be any correlation with whatever cereal you were eating. Right. Right. Um, right. Now, maybe, maybe it is just a spurious correlation because some people just started posting about it. And then now everybody that gets norovirus that didn't eat Lucky Charms doesn't pay any attention about it or think about it. But if you do happen to by accident get norovirus after eating having eaten lucky charms or you know you know whatever um then you are gonna notice that right so it's you know it's just it's just because you're looking for the correlation that you're seeing it not that there's an actual correlation so which would yeah. which could and that's one of the weaknesses of what patrick does you know or the uh, on the surface i mean again he does more he does more in-depth analysis than they he talks about on the on the on the public facing part of the site but yeah i don't know it's an interesting hypothesis yeah i I still i still don't i don't think i don't feel in my gut that it's right but yeah i think it's really it really is probably some toxicological or allergic response from an ingredient change but that's just and that's you know that's just my you know speculation i don't have any evidence of that yeah yeah no i'm i'm with you that's and i think that's why this is an ongoing topic for us right like we're it's it's a good one for us to um, to really do our full non-risky or not food safety talk, more food safety talk, because there's a lot there. There's a lot of unknowns in this one. Um, one thing that is different about the Daily Harvest compared to Lucky Charms, though, is something I just mm-hmm. sent you that this particular crumble that's really been associated with these illnesses is new. So Lucky mm, Charms, right? right? Like p- people that have been eating right. Lucky Charms for a long time, all of a sudden. I, you know, I eat Lucky Charms three times a week. Now, all of a sudden I got sick from it. Right. Something's changed here. This product wasn't around before. This is, it's new. It's just been added. Um, might've taken a while for people to add, to order it from Daily Harvest. Might've taken once they've got it some, cause it's a shelf stable um, product. It's, right. you know, dry crumble. Might've taken them some time to consume it. And maybe it's just something specific to this, um, to this product. 
Um, can I can I tell you a little bit more about the crumbles? Sure. <laughs> That's actually my favorite. That might be a good show title. Um, mm-hmm. Crumbles offer 13 grams of protein per serving. Okay. They are free of gums, fillers, hydrogenated oils, GMOs, or artificial anything. Just saute, then add to tacos, pasta sauces, daily harvest flatbreads, and more. So they don't have anything in them. Nothing artificial. It's all the. It's all just new. It's all just free, free of gums, fillers, and, and only the good, only the good stuff. It's, okay. Yep. Um, I, I think it's interesting because I wouldn't have seen this like with a crumble. If I was to put this on, say, a salad or on a, um, like flatbread. Oh, wait a second, Don. These aren't dry. These are keep frozen, cooked thoroughly. Oh, okay. Now I'm totally blown away by this. I didn't really see that before. Mm. So we're talking like needs to be heated for safety reasons. Doesn't really change. Like you mentioned already before the phytotoxin. Yeah. It's it's stable, right? Like even if you cook it, it's not going to um, denature that, that toxin protein. It's a protein, right? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, um, yeah, but, but I, th- I, I think we're, we're, but our uh, lectins, lectin, do lentils have lectins? I, I'm, we, I'm, we may be just totally, I'm uh, we're co- just wrong here. It's it that, that paper that I sent you seemed to say that there were lots of lectins in lentils. Okay. Take look at table three of the paper. Lectin activity results obtained with the non-trypsin-treated and trypsin-treated hemagglutination assay using rabbit erythrocytes in raw and processed material and mm-hmm. like beluga whale. No, beluga lentil. A mm-hmm. um, lot of, you know, lot, lot of lectins. Um, brown lentil, a lot of lectins. Not as much as a few, the beans here in the raw, but green lentil, no. Um, red lentil, yes. So oh, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. yeah th- thank you for. I, I now I have looked at this article, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe this is the article that I did find. So it's an MDPI journal, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we'll revisit that on another episode when we have a yep. guest who wants to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. There we go. Boom. All back. Oh, good, good, good. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going. I mean, who knows exactly what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, we just we just don't know. Yeah, but again, I would say there's something going on here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about some other stuff that's going on in the sure. world of, um, did so, and I don't think we talked. Oh, I know we didn't talk about this because we um the last episode we did was live at Afto, and we we didn't do we didn't dive so much into our folder, but yeah. I want to give a shout out to um someone who i i mean i met i don't know her very well but um her name is abby snyder at cornell do you know abby oh, yeah and i know i know the name yeah so abby abby and i met somewhere i think we've been on a panel together um she did probably uh we'll link to this article um probably the best really in-depth science-based interview that I've seen on Chronobacter Sakazakii. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was in, you know, my favorite um, 
my, my favorite publication. And Don, I think probably your MMWR. No, no, my, uh, it's it's maybe my second favorite publication. Okay. Interestingengineering.com. Not that they've heard of before. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I want to link to this because I think it it was a really good Q and a with, with Abby. Um, And, and it was just like really publishing, like four pages, three pages, probably of text on interviewing, like how do experts think about food safety regarding products like baby, baby formula? Um, how would Chronobacter Sakazaki get into baby formula? How do producers manage the risk of contamination in low moisture foods? Like really good in-depth food safety questions. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought her, her questions were like spot on. And I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I love every once in a while, um, it's, I feel like it's really cool when we, when, when I read something from someone who I know of, but don't know really well. And it's like, wow, this is, this was super impressive. So right. I just wanted to give a shout out to, to Dr. Abby Snyder from Cornell university. Cause I thought this was a, a phenomenal interview. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Um, one, one thing, you know, the, the uh, I'll give you the, um, my favorite part of this, which is, uh, it's complicated and it depends um wearing wearing my t-shirt today oh fantastic uh question was how do food processors manage the risk of contamination after the kill step um mm. and this is just i think a really good answer i'll read directly from abby's answer food safety writ large is extremely complicated and a lot of these processes are very complex we've made big advances in let's say the last 50 years in terms of food safety and reducing incidents of outbreaks and recalls, as well as decreasing the size of outbreaks when they do happen. That said, there's still places where cross-contamination happens. Um, I just, yeah, I thought it was very clear. It was really good science communication. So I've sent this article on to multiple people about like a journalist and then others who have been interested in this, in this outbreak. And I think it's, she does a really good job explaining how this happens mm-hmm. um, potentially. So call out to, to Abby. Um, another thing that I thought I want, well, not that I wanted to talk about, but you somewhat randomly now will send me TikToks. TikToks. Yes. Um, and so you sent me, uh, a TikTok, uh, that you took a screenshot of, or maybe I took a screenshot of, but, um, I, I don't, <laughs> it must be you because the title is, this is sincerely, he's a Canadian icon. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. So I I sent you a TikTok of a very funny man who his son brings him like fast food or junk food and he turns it into gourmet food. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's really funny. And then your response to me was, "This is Sue Surly. He's a Canadian icon." Which is so I took a screenshot of my message to you, and that was and so I made that the the name of the file so I would remember what it was we were supposed to talk about. <laughs> Well, Suzer Lee um, is one of those like can, uh, Canadian celebrity chefs that rose to prominence at really as the Food Network um, took, you know, rose to prominence in, in Canada, Food Network Canada, I guess it was. So I I learned about Suzer Lee way, way a long time ago. Actually, when we started doing, we, we um, our group wrote a paper, oh gosh, it's probably like 15 years ago now when we watched hours and hours of uh, Food Network um, shows and look for food safety mistakes and events uh, that were happening. Suzer Lee's, I don't think, I think it was after we published that paper that his, he he was on 
um, Food Network Canada, but I was just more in tune with it. But I've I've been really lucky to um, eat at uh, a couple of his restaurants in um, in Toronto, um, and it's uh, it, it just a really a really cool uh, experience. And so I would uh, I, the one that I've eaten at I think the most is um, Lee. Um, it is named just Lee L E E, and it's on uh, King Street West, um, in in Toronto. And so maybe when we go to IAFP in Toronto next year, you, me, and, and some others will go to Susie Lee's restaurant. It's really it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah but he's super that. funny. Um, a, just a great like TV personality, but also makes uh, I think really good good food. Yeah, yeah, and he's just he's just a very funny. I mean, the interaction with him and his son is just it's just very funny so, yeah yeah um speak, i'm gonna put a, a, a like a a plug in for um iafp this year which uh which will be happening uh at, i mentioned this earlier but it's gonna happen at the end of july early august and uh i i sort of helped a panel along that includes a discussion with um a, a chef from here in raleigh who is uh you know, a celebrity, a celebrity chef in, in her own right. Uh, her name's uh, Chidi Kumar. She uh, um, owns and uh, runs a restaurant called Garland here in Raleigh. And Chidi, I, I don't think we've talked about this. Have I told you about Chidi at all, Don? I don't think so. Well, so so Chidi's awesome, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, has done some work with our department. In fact, actually, before she was... Um, the chef and owned a restaurant. She actually worked in, in my department um, uh, and worked in the family consumer sciences program uh, as a, as a program assistant. Um, but she and I have been talking over the last year or so about just where we need to be going in food safety and su- supporting the culinary world. And she's giving me like lots of great ideas about things that we can be collaborating on, like TikToks for, um, you know, diff, very, very short videos in TikTok form for employees in restaurants. Um, and, and I'll use her words. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share what she shared with me. She's like, these need to be packaged really for a short attention span person, because that's what the, um, what the job's all about. Right. And so how do we, how do we get into their, their heads, but she's going to come to, to IAFP and hang out with us. Like nice. not just come in for her, for the panel. She's like, how long is this conference? I want to see what all the food safety people are talking about. Um, which is, it kind of blows my mind a little bit like that to me, that, that was very, it's very cool. And, and, and I think it's this connection that we in our world don't have a lot with, which is the, the face of food in, you know, in some communities are really the chefs that are putting it together in, in restaurants. And so, you know, we, we had a great food safety talk episode with, um, with Matt Collins, uh, from, uh, chef Collins events a, a few months back talking about this, but I think our integration into this world is something that, um, that we need kind of more of so we can learn about how do we get there with, with food safety messages and, and, and everything that's, that's happening, um, in the culinary world. So I'm really excited that she's going to come. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Can you, can you send me, can you send me a, like a link to her page or yep. to the session or something? So, yeah. I sure will. Um, so 
what else do we have so, going well, on? Let, do you want to talk yeah. about frozen dessert dispensers? Uh, so this is yeah. this is from May, um, <clears throat> and it's not we ha- and we haven't talked about it. Um, so well, it feels like it was ages ago, but it's less than a month ago. So this is an email that I got from. Um, well, I, I well let me let me see. It's an email that I got from somebody in uh, state and local public health. Okay. Okay. And I'll I'll lay it out for you. And then I would like your I would like your thoughts, okay? And so I'll I'll read from the original email to kind of set this up. Um, I, I contacted you before about something different. Um, got some questions about this new thing. Uh, we've been dealing with companies that use heat treatment dispensing freezers. Um, and so basically, what this is is like a like a like a smoothie machine or an ice cream, you know, frozen dessert dispensing machine, right? Okay. Yep. Okay. And he, and they write, uh, our food code requires these freezers be broken down and cleaned every 14 days. And some companies have submitted variance requests to extend the cleaning to 28 days. It's been mentioned that we could change our code to accept extended cleaning frequency for freezers that are NSF certified, and we would no longer issue variances. It does appear that NSF does food testing when certifying heat treatment, heat treatment dispensing freezers, but they only test for E. coli. Attached is an NSF certification letter that our counterparts at uh, Department of Agriculture received, which includes a letter from FDA from 1989 regarding heat treatment freezers. We have concerns that NSF is not testing other pathogens. Years ago, uh, our state had a staph outbreak related to a heat treatment freezer that did not complete heat cycles as required. Thus, we have required testing for multiple pathogens when we receive these variance requests. So huh. here are our questions, okay? If soft serve ice cream mix tests negative for E. coli and has an acceptable total plate count, is it safe to assume no other pathogens such as staph, listeria, and salmonella are absent or at acceptable levels? Uh, do you think we're safe to accept NSF certification for extended cleaning frequency, even though they only test for E. coli? Um, or would you recommend that we continue to require testing for multiple pathogens? And this, this took me a while to kind of dig into this, to read the attached documents and to formulate some opinions. So before, before I weigh in with my opinions, do you... And it's okay if your answer is no, because I'm dumping this on you and there's a lot of technical information to digest in very short fashion, but do you have any initial reactions? Um, so I guess um, I, I want to know if you know more about the NSF certification mm-hmm. process, yep. Yep. right? So, and I think yep. hopefully, I think that's part of your, yep. your answer here. So I don't know much about that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. And I did not know much about it until I read the, the document that they sent. Right. And okay. so, and this is, you know, this is an interesting topic that comes up from time to time because people are like, well, you know, I want to make sure that this really works to kill pathogens. And so the best way to do that is to put pathogens in and see if they kill it, which is not, not exactly correct for reasons that I'll explain in a few minutes. And so basically NSF uses a generic strain of E. coli. Okay. Um, Not a pathogenic strain, but a generic strain, ATCC strain number 11229. And the reason why they're using this strain is that's the strain of E. coli 
that EPA requires be tested when you're developing a sanitizer. Mm. Okay. And so the issue with these machines is you want to keep them sanitary. And so you can use sanitizers, which you would have to meet an EPA, you know, label claim for this organism. Okay. Um, so the reason why NSF does not want to use a pathogen, right, is, well, what you'd have to do is you'd have to grow up the pathogen to high levels. You'd have to put this pathogenic organism into this machine and then basically make ice cream, right? Which is like, that's, that would require a biosafety level two lab. Um, it would be really hard for us to get approval to do that experiment in our biosafety level two lab, because really what you often want to do is you want to put the thing with the pathogens in a biosafety cabinet, which is smaller than, than this ice cream maker, right? This, this freezer. So it, it would be very hard. You have to build a special biosafety cabinet to contain the organism, right? And so, so, so that's, a, you know, that's, that's one, one point, okay? Um, but I will say, you know, one of the things that the company said was, well, um, NSF is not testing pathogens and we had the staff outbreak. Right, right. It's like, well, okay, right. But the staff outbreak happened because the freezer did not complete the heat cycle. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the NSF document, they focus a lot more on what I would call engineering controls, right? Like the like to to pass NSF certification, you have to have systems in place, right? Like an internal lockout feature, which makes it impossible to dispense product whenever a heat treatment cycle doesn't properly complete, right? And for me, that's way more important than thinking about, well, did it kill pathogens when we put them into the product right and the and and yeah and so and mm. and you know what and the and the and the 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 heat cycle that they use for this particular product is the same heat cycle that they use to for uh compliance with the grade a pasteurized milk ordinance which is heating for 30 minutes at 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, again, you probably don't carry those numbers around in your head, Ben, but let me tell you that 30 minutes at 150 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a heck of a cook. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's a lot. Like if that, you, yeah. I'm not sure you would want to eat a hamburger that was cooked for 30 minutes at hundred degrees Fahrenheit or 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Right? No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. 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 Agreed. <laughs> so, so anyway, so going on. So, uh, you know, I think it's important to differentiate between like routine testing and what NSF is doing, right? And so what NSF does is they inoculate at a, basically a million E. coli and they require that the unit give a six log reduction, which is one log CFU, uh, zero log CFU, right? Six minus six yep. is yep. zero, which is zero log CFU is not zero. It's one CFU, right? Yep. If you take the anti-log of zero. Uh, 10 to the zero is one, right? Um, yep. But, and, and if you look at the results page, what happens is you, you basically test this ice cream maker for 28 days in a row and you never get any detectable E. coli, right? right there. Uh, yeah, which, yeah. Yep. So, right. And so, yes, you could pick a more heat resistant organism, but, and, and again, what we're concerned with here, so obviously 150 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes, but that may not be the 
every bit of the unit, right? You're only measuring 150 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 minutes at one point in the unit, right? And so you, what you want to make sure there's no cracks and crevices or places where cells can hide and maybe not experience that 150 for 30 minutes, right? And 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 if you and by and by running it for 28 days and basically getting sterile product each time, you know, you're you're fine, right? Um, let's see. So or do you think we can, are we safe to accept NSF certification? Yeah. And, and again, you know, whenever anybody asks me, is it safe to do this? You know, my answer, Ben. That's a risk management decision. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's not, there's nothing, there's always risk, right? Yeah. Nothing is completely safe. And so the question is, are you as risk managers, you people in the state comfortable with accepting this certification. And that's not a decision that I can make, but what I can do is lay out the science. And then obviously, you know, I mean, one thing that risk managers love to do is appeal to a higher authority. And hey, if I'm at, working at the State Department of Health and I can find an, a federal FDA document that says that something is safe, well, that's a great CYA for me. I'll just say, okay, well, FDA said it's safe, right? And so right. therefore we're going to say it's safe. And and then and then again, if if there if it turns out you're wrong, well, now it's also FDA that is, you know, under the in the in the you say, well, we, we just we just did what FDA said that we should do, right? Right. Um, so <laughs> right. And then and then again, should you continue testing um multiple pathogens? It's like, well, that's a very conservative approach. Um, but you know, it's not a necessarily a better approach, right? Um, you know, and what does it tell not, you, right? Like, well, yeah, what it tells you is that heat kills pathogens, right? right. It, which we know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to tell them what to do, but I kind of told them what to do, yeah. <laughs> but, well, but I'm, you know, so anyway, so this was this, I spent a fair amount of time like thinking about this and doing it because it was somebody that I had helped before and they thought enough to reach out to me. And I, and also, you know, if I have time, I like to kind of do these exercises, these theoretical exercises where I do a deep dive on something just kind of to, to, you know, just to, just cause it's part of my job, really. I mean, technically, I mean, I suppose it's not really my job to help people in Ohio, but you know, no, whatever. Yeah. I mean, but, but it was, it was fun and it was interesting. And, and I, and I wasn't, there were no other pressing matters to attend to that day. And so I did it. And, and again, but I, but I did want, I saw, and I didn't, I didn't claim it for writing buddies, but, <laughs> but I did, I did want to get some more value out of it. So yeah. So I hope that was interesting and useful to you and maybe to our listeners. Well, yeah. And it, it is because I, I never really thought about the NSF standard, you know, testing regime up until now, especially, and I, I, you know, I, you know, also never really thought about these types of, um, this type of equipment, uh, before, but, but I think the way that you answered the way, I mean, what, what they were asking was just to mansplain this back to you, Don, can we, do we need to do anything different than what we are already doing? Um, and, and we feel a little bit uncomfortable about this as we dig into it, should we feel comfortable or not? And I think what you gave them was an answer of, you should feel pretty comfortable with this, um, with, with this NSF certification yeah. um, process. Like it's, it's, it's thoughtful. It's, it, this is, this is why it's the way it is. And, and yeah, you can always test for more, but it might not tell you anything more. Right. Like, right. Like it, yeah. Which, right. so like, I, yeah, no, I think yeah. it was. And, it, and it, honestly expose lab workers to yeah. pathogens in the in the in the lab that's doing the testing right which which has consequences in and of itself right so if you ask somebody 
to go above and beyond and to do something that in turn exposes them to risk. Well, you know, that's a, that's a risk, risk trade-off, right? You're, and so what's your, what's, what's your benefit from requiring this more strenuous process versus what's the risk to the people that have to conduct that process. So there's no, there's no free lunch, right? Like it's all, it's all risk, risk trade-offs, right? It's all risk management decisions all the way down. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you inspired me to, to tell you about an email that I got. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, which I also won't uh, won't count for writing buddies, but I think it's a good place for us to, <laughs> to, to, to talk about it. So um, I've got a I've got a friend, right? Like uh, people that I know from the internet um, uh, who, want, uh, well, I've got mul- multiple friends from the internet, um, but this is uh, a writer and uh, podcaster. Her name's uh, Nikki Twiley. And she's on the podcast Gastropod. Um, and I think we've, we talked about, I was, I was on, I, I did a little, uh, um, uh, podcasting adultery uh, on you, uh, and was on Gastropod a couple of years ago. We, we have an open podcast. It's not adultery if we have an open relationship. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and so Nikki's one one half of that with uh, Cynthia Graver, and um, and Nikki also writes for um, New Yorker, the New Yorker, I guess it is. Anyway, she she. Um, She's do she's investigating um, refrigeration, um, and so she asked me a couple of questions. And it's you know, I by the hopefully by the time we answer this, the feature will be out. But she's doing something, and it's not like uh, we're will anybody listens to this, and then we'll go scoop the New Yorker. But she she asked me about three foods specifically that she followed through the supply chain in a developing country and um and she was like these three things i think what i saw was unsafe and i don't want to do this on risking or not because I, I think it makes more sense to talk about it here yeah yeah um and so she she said okay i saw some milk it was raw unfiltered milk transported on the back of a bike at ambient temperatures which was 62 degrees for about two and a half hours from cow to chiller and steel cans what do you see? Her question was, what do you think that would do to the microbial load and shelf life? And, and it, she highlights, it's not pasteurized after this. It's just chilled. And, and I didn't really answer her question. <laughs> what I, cause I don't think she was asking me really about microbial load and shelf life from a spoilage standpoint. I think she was asking about it. She knows me as the food safety person. Right. So I told her with that, that the temperature aspect of this and the time and temperature really wasn't going to increase risk all that drastically that just by the nature of it being raw all the way through the, the chain that the, and I'll read directly from, hopefully this is the quote that I get in the New Yorker that the poop hole is near the udders and teats and thousands of raw milk illnesses in the U S system and probably millions in developing countries happen because of that. Um, and, and, but but it caused me to go a little bit in the literature because I know I've heard about this idea of competition with uh, microbial t- competition in raw milk. And there's a paper um, that I sent her uh, 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 that was from um, uh, Gudong Wang, Tong Zhao, and uh, Mike Doyle. And it goes all the way back to 1997. Um, and this paper... Uh, is about the survival and growth of E. coli 157H7 in pasteurized and unpasteurized and pasteurized milk. And essentially the paper shows that, um, and I'll read from the abstract here, um, the 
survival of growth of E. coli 157H7 were observed among the pasteurized milk samples, regardless of fat con concentration at all temperatures throughout the study. Oh, don't want to tell you about pasteurization. It's unpasteurized. Basically, this study showed that the unpasteurized um, milk held at refrigeration temperatures, actually the 0157 doesn't compete as well with the with the other population of bacteria that are in there compared to pasteurized. Um, not to say that it's not risky or or anything like that, and it's going to all die out. But it, the you know her question was about okay if I hold this at improper temperature, is it going to be a problem? And it's like well if the if the 0157 is in there in the first place or the other like pathogens are in there in the first place, that's really the problem. So that was like a turns out for her, I think. Um, in in the in the answer, she asked about two other things: fish and chicken. And similarly, the same story, right? Like sometime at ambient temperature, um, without, um, you know, without ice or without refrigeration, um, you know, travel for some time on the back of a bicycle or in a fishing boat, and it kind of gave her the same answers. That basically, that I would expect there to be pathogens. Maybe they're growing a little bit in this situation, but it's really about the cook step in in both the fish and, and chicken. So. Yeah, there's going to be some growth, but two hours or four hours really isn't enough. And then I told her a little bit about time as a public health control in the food code. And I think that, you know, I got sort of multiple messages back to her, back from her about this, where she really was not thinking about that, that there would be so much of a lag time between, you know, when something's slaughtered and the, and the growth leading to significant growth to increasing risk. So one, one thing that I really took away from this was that so much of when I talk to media folks and, you know, like, doesn't matter if it's someone who I know well, or someone who I don't know, well, the, the turns out aspects of the story always seem to pop up in, in like in my answers and make it into the final paper, like, or final, not paper, but final article. Um, that a piece that that someone's writing or or talking about, and I thought like it makes me think about that in a very purposeful way. Um, sometimes, right? Like it's it's not about the here are the things that we're all thinking. It actually makes for a better story when there's a turns out in the end. And so I just want like I, I it, this was one of those times where I knew when she was asking something that there was going to be some turns out, and I I'm really happy that she kind of responded the way that she did, which was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And thanks. It was different. So shocked from where, where I was going with this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you make some good points. And with the milk example, uh, so it's you, this is just to go back and get the, the, the details, right. Yes. For, in my head. So um, it, this is room temperature milk, right? Yes. That is transported for two hours. Yes until you can, or actually cow temperature, cow body temperature milk, probably. Right. It starts um, at cow body temperature milk. And then, and then it cools down to room to temperature. 62. Yeah. Yep. 62. Okay. That's weird. That's very specific. Well, I think that was because that was the ambient temperature on the day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because right. it's, then, it's on a bike. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, um, yeah. And then the questions I would have is, okay, so yeah, like two hours. Okay. And is it, you know, plus or minus what's the risk, you know, over time, what's the mean, what's the standard deviation rate of that time? Uh, what's the variation, the temperature, right. um, you know, if we were going to do a risk 
a risk model for this, we would we would need that information. And then also, you know, once it gets to where it's going, how long does it take for it to cool down? But yeah, I mean, the the idea that uh, it would it's going to you're that you're going to really have the, all that much impact in the two hours or two and a half hours it's being transported. Uh, would it be better to cool it down at the farm and transport it cold? Yeah, but maybe that's not possible, right? And so without without significant resources, and so yeah, so it's it's probably as good as they can do, and it probably does not result in a significant increase in risk, right? Yep, yep. And or if it does, if we could say, okay, well, what is the growth of salmonella at 62 degrees Fahrenheit? Let's even, we could even be generous and assume that there's no lag phase because who knows, right? There might not be lag phase, right? Um, uh, and okay, so maybe we get a one log increase, you know, with no lag. Uh, but again, your pasteurization process is going to more than take care of that. So right, right. what were, do you remember the times and temperatures for the other products? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you the times. There, um, the fish was two hours without ice, not gutted or cleaned at ambient sixty nine degrees. Okay, yeah. Same same logic same. applies. Yep. Yep. Chicken transported on the back of a bicycle for about four hours at ambient temperature, fifty nine to sixty three degrees. Yeah. So again, not same. not yeah. probably not a best practice. Probably not. You know, you're not doing anything to help the quality of those foods but you're not really blowing up the risk either, right? It's, and then again, and then, but the question is, okay, so what happens to that fish? Is that's being taken to a market where it's being sold to someone? It's being cooled and then I sold would, to someone who's going to cook it at home? Yeah, I would I would think so. Yeah. Okay. And same with the chicken, right? So yep. again, it's not unlike, well, and then with the milk, the milk is chilled down when it gets to the central location, but is, is that milk ever pasteurized? Like, what? cause no, again, okay. Not. So, yep. so, but it's, and it's sold to consumers who will then when they get home and they make, make use it for food, they will probably boil it. Right. Like it, I know it, I know yeah. from some work that we've done with raw milk in China, that's the practice, right. And I'll see if I can find our, our article, but yeah, I mean, and so you know, once you get it, I mean, with, with the work that we did was looking at staph aureus risk in milk in China. And the issue is, okay, well, yes. So we're going to boil it, but what we really, what we really care about is when, what's the possibility of staphylococcal toxin production, right? right. So we know staph is most definitely an organism that can infect cows and can get into milk. And that's what we're really, and it will make a heat stable toxin. So that's what we're worried about there. Right, right, right. One. And I, yes. But I also think about like from, and I'll send you a screenshot of what I what I liked about this this Doyle paper, mm-hmm. um, show like the 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 turns out for me on this one is that the uh, if if you look at what I just sent you, mm-hmm. I think it's Figure yep. One. Um, look look at fifteen degrees Celsius, right? Where and or twenty two doesn't matter which one you're you're looking at. The squares here are the unpasteurized milk. It's not getting the same amount of growth as the pasteurized milk because there's more competition. Yeah, which um, is exactly what I would suspect. And it yep. looks like the competition is even more favored at 22, right? Yes, exactly. At 15, um, your, your E. coli is doing better than it's doing at 22. Yep. And I, and I think there was a little turns out in that conversation, right? As part oh, of that. for sure. Yeah, for sure. W- yeah. Which, is, which is cool, right? Like that's, that's kind of the... Um, I don't know. I, I like it when we're able to do, do stuff like that. The other thing that, and I didn't talk too much about this, but when we, um, in, in what I just told you about it, but what I, what I did send to Nikki about, um, the fish was, and, um, some fish, I, you know, the things that I would worry about in fish are 
parasites like parasitic worms and then histamine production in yep. some types of fish yep. um, at temperature abuse. And so parasite, um, yeah, I, I mean, if I freeze it and cook it, it's going to take care of that you know, risk. But it made me jump a little bit into the literature about time to histamine production in certain types of fish. And so I found a paper um, from food chemistry back in 2003, changes in histamine and volatile amines in six commercially important species of fish um, of the Thutakudi coast of Tamil Nadu, India, stored at ambient temperature. And this had a pretty good, like, couple of um, also, you know, I'm all about pictures, right? Right, Don? Um, so if, if you look at, um, figure three um, in this, and I'll send you a screenshot of that so you can take a look at it. Um, you know, Nikki's question was about like two hours, right? So figure three for histamine for a bunch of different fish. And again, none of them were, were um, tilapia because I don't know if tilapia is one that has, um, that is likely to have histamine, histamine production yep. yet. Um, but for a whole bunch of other fish, and I, I like, I, I just wanted to kind of illustrate these are the things I worry about. And even here, there's no measurable histamine production at the you know a, a very similar um, you know temperature um, at ambient temperature until you get to six plus hours, and mm -hmm. then you get you know some histamine production. But it really even takes in some of these fish up to twelve hours or never before there's actually um, histamine production above a limit of acceptance, um, which is, you know, that, that limit of acceptance is based on some international standards. And if someone is very like um, uh, has issues with histamine and like out food allergies already, this can certainly become a bigger problem uh, for, for them, but it even, it takes time, right? It takes time for those naturally occurring bacteria to start to, um, uh, you know, chew through uh, some of the amino acids and, and spit out um, histamine um, yeah. in, in, in that temperature of used fish. Yeah. And just one, one correction, when you said never, you meant not ever within the experiment, which only Thank went you. for 24, 24 hours. hours. So, so you could predict by extrapolating, you could predict maybe 48 hours, they might be above that that uh, risk management limit that's been set. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I'll add, and I'm sure the data are the same, Ungutted fish, I do worry about type E bot. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. But I've got to imagine that that is growing more slowly than um, uh, these histamine producers, right? Well, or, or no faster. Than yeah. Them, so C, I know, I guess type E is going to be different from type A, but C, uh, risk or not episode on toxin formation and uh, um, uh, potatoes, uh, foiled potatoes. Which hasn't <laughs> posted yet. Yeah, well, but it will by the time this happens. Are you psychic? <laughs> um, oh, that's yeah. true. Oh, yeah, I forgot this one's not going out right away. Either. No, no, you know, I'm not. No. I'm not that fast on. Um, yeah. So anyway, like it's good, and hopefully, I haven't scooped Nikki's um, New Yorker episode. But I just thought it was. I, 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 it made me think more about the like part of our job. I think as um, food safety people that talk to. Um, journalists is to give them the thing that, that they're not thinking about sometimes. And then the turns out's really fun, right? Like it's um, going down one path and being like, well, 
you know, what here's here's what the science will, will will kind of point us towards, or here's what experience around food safety has shown, and and it's very cool to get that reaction of like, whoa, blown mind. Um, so I like Absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. Hey, so I wanted to just briefly mention um, what I've been doing this past week. Absolutely, uh, which, which is attending the IFINS uh, annual meeting. Uh, which was a really, really nice event. It's actually still going on today. I was just there for the board of trustees meeting uh, and because I've recently was asked to join the board and then also to moderate a session on uh, last mile food safety. And uh, that had three, uh, three panelists. Uh, it had Bill Hallman from Rutgers uh, who talked about in, in investigating the safety of foods ordered over the internet, which is a popular topic to have Bill talk on. Uh, uh, Jorge Hernandez from Wendy's uh, talking about food safety for non-traditional facilities. And this was, this was actually a two, two weeks in a row listening to Jorge talk about this. This is something that he's very passionate about, uh, very passionate about. And he actually spoke on the same topic uh, at AFTO last week. And then, and then finally, uh, Liz Duffy from Walmart uh, talking about the technology first approach for ensuring food safety that's, that's being used at Walmart. So do you, I know, you know, Bill, you know, Jorge, right? Oh yeah. And, yep. and do you know Liz? I do not know Liz. Oh, you, uh, she'll be at IFP. She is, she, I, I have I always forget how funny she is. She's got this incredibly self-effacing, very dry sense of humor. And uh, I just, I just literally laughed out loud a couple of times during her talk. I, I might've been the only one laughing or, but I just, she's just very, very, very funny, but you have to pay, you have to pay pretty close attention to what she's saying to, to, to pick up on her little, her little aside. So anyway, uh, great, great, great talks and some cool stuff they're doing at Walmart. Oh, awesome. Um, and what, what was the, the group? This is I, IFINS. That, yes, this, this is, this is the group that used to be ILSI North America. Yep. yep. But it's confusing because uh, they, so basically they de-affiliated from ILSI and they reconstituted as a separate organization. But uh, now ILSI um, is creating not ILSI North America, but they're, re they're creating ILSI US Canada. Oh God. Oh, hmm. So that, yeah, okay. So you know, so that's interesting. <laughs> that seems like something that would have been interesting, like uh, a, a board uh, conversation. Yeah, uh, you know, you could you could be right. We might have <laughs> talked about that, Ben. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with uh, SWOT analysis, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. There's uh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. I'll leave it to you to decide which one, uh, which one, uh, which box you put that one in. Right. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So it's been it's been really interesting being part of uh, being part of IFINS and um, sort of learning the way they work and getting getting to know the executive director, um, uh, who is a wonderful uh, woman named Wendelin, um, who uh, yeah, who's just doing a great job leading the organization. Yeah. So it's been it's been it's, and yeah, it's it's very interesting. They're very nutrition focused. So they're focused on nutrition and food safety. I see more focused on nutrition than food safety. And then when they say food safety, really what they mean is toxicology and microbial food safety. And again, there, I would say they're more focused on toxicology than microbial food safety. So as a, as a food safety microbiologist, I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not as useful to them as I, I would like to be, but it, but it's, it's been really interesting to be 
to be part of that group. And oh, and they and the, our, the meeting was at the National Press Club, which if you've never been to, Ben, I uh, highly recommend it. It's a very hmm. cool, cool building in Washington, D.C. No, that's cool. Awesome. Um, I want to talk to you about a paper. Oh, cool. That, that came out. And we know we know some of the people who are co-authors on this, and I think it's very cool. This paper. Okay. Was it was it published by MBPI? No, it was published in. Uh, in I think we're going to like this one. It's in emerging infectious diseases. Oh. Which, which as I'm, I'm a, you know, you've probably been a, a ad hoc reviewer for this journal. Have you been? I think I might have. Yes. Yeah. Not. Hey. A, I don't. It's not one of the ones that I review a lot for. Yeah. But I do. I do. I do find. I do really enjoy some of the papers that we we see there because they, they, they're often very interesting. I was going to say the same thing. It's it's like I, I think I've done a handful of reviews for it, and it's amongst the most interesting papers to review. It, uh, it's a very I, I I don't know. It's one of those one of those journals that I think they they just have really they they do a lot of stuff that that resonates with what we do, what right. you and I talk about. So a couple of authors on this paper you're gonna you're gonna know some of these names. Don um, Michael Batts, um, oh, yes. Michael Bazzacco. Wow. Um, you know, those from uh, Michael Batts, who's been a guest on this show, uh, mm-hmm. and has been a guest on, on our, uh, um, on our non-recorded, uh, Saturday night dinners at IAFP. Same with Michael Bazzacco, uh, um, Craig Hedberg, Hedberg. Uh, yep. people that we, that we love Elaine Scallon Walter. Um, and, who, who uh, we know, I know of by reputation. So, yep. and the, yeah, yeah, yep. So some really um, some good good folks on this. So this is a paper came out in, um, in this month. Foodborne illness outbreaks reported to national surveillance, United States, 2009 and 2018. So Don, I, I love this. Um, there are low reporting states and high reporting states. High reporting states report four times more outbreaks than low reporters. Low reporters. Okay, okay got it. So you follow me? Yep. Following? yep. Low reporters more likely than high reporters to report report larger outbreaks and less likely to implicate a setting or food vehicle. I want you to, we're going to come to that in a second. Um, Per, this is my favorite, per capita funding was strongly associated with increased reporting. So, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you know, and this is, this is the, this is the famous um, Art Liang slide that I'm pretty sure I didn't imagine that really exists that shows that the more epidemiologists you have, the more outbreaks you have, which yes. means, of course, the solution to foodborne disease is to fire all the epidemiologists because then we'll have zero reported foodborne disease, right? Yep. We'll fix we'll fix the problem. Um, and that Don right here, so the Art Liang's slide, I would now update that to say- um, <laughs> if, White, so, white at L, yes. Yeah. And- four times more likely to have, you know, right. Like not more, not just more likely, oh, but in well, this- the, the, the data that art showed, it was like a, it was- literally a straight line, <laughs> yeah, okay. right. Like the more, the more epidemiologists, the more disease and oh, R squared was like 9.9, you know, 0.99. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to talk about this because I think it's really an interesting, and I think it's a, this is a well written, I, I think a very good paper that we, that goes into kind of the pantheon of papers that I talk about mm-hmm. in, in, in food safety. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's already a bats paper in there um, that, that we talk about a lot on attribution 
um, and cost. And then there's our P-Train paper that we talk about, but this and the Scallon paper um, from 2009 about um, foodborne illness burden. This one's really cool because I think it says, if you have a state that has lots of um, money going towards public health, you are finding more outbreaks. They're smaller because you're finding more, mm-hmm. right? Like, and um, you're finding a lot more, like four times more in this. And I don't like, you, they, they go through how they decided um, a, a low and high, you know, they high is the highest quintile, middle is the middle three quintiles and low is the lowest quintile. So most of the analysis is between high and low on, on reporting. Um, and, or at least most of the interesting results um, are there, but I, it's like not having money in public health means it's really hard to find when there are problems means it's really hard to fix problems. And, um, and the only time that you get problems is when it's really big, right? Like the, 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 the these larger outbreaks will eventually make someone's radar and will be investigated and reported. Um, but what, what I'm more interested in, and I know you are as well is the smaller outbreaks that we may have missed over time, because those are the ones that are, that, that are these new types of food vehicles that we've not, um, uh, thought about now in this paper, they say they did not observe a significant difference in the types of food vehicles identified. Um, but I would, I would say that over time, like it wasn't really looking at temporally changing that, that, that like added to added things that are getting added to the list, right? Small, like if we go back and look at um, uh, ice cream, w- you know, before Bluebell, it wasn't on, it wasn't on the list at all. So temporarily we're, we continue to add food vehicles to the list, not more likely from high reporting and low reporting. Um, but I think it's really like, I, I just thought it was really interesting, um, this, this paper. So I don't know if you had a chance to look at it or had any other insights. Yeah, I'm. Uh, let me just say that I'm very disappointed, <laughs> but I understand. Oh, you know, just in general, know what I'm going to say no, no. Oh, is I'm, the word? I'm very, is... I'm very, I'm very disappointed. Oh no! In is... uh, let's see, which is it? Is it? Uh, it's figure two, Ben. Oh, does um, it say infectious dose somewhere? No, 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 no. Uh, zero? It, 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 is there no, a zero? It, 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 ranks the, uh, it ranks the states Oh, in yeah. numerical order from 1 to 51. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you know which state is the worst, Ben? Um, I, I 51. don't. 51. 51. Yeah. Ben? What, what's and the 51st you know state? state? Is the, the, well, or 50. It, my point is, Ben... Do you know what the name of the best state is? No. One. Now, Ben, I don't know, as a Canadian, I don't know how much you've had to learn about the U.S. states. Yep. But I'm pretty sure that those are not actually names of actual states. Would, would, you, would you? Well, but Don, I think if, if, we're, if we're really clear here. Um, I, I believe number one would be Delaware because that's known as the first state. <laughs> I think I think one and two are Minnesota and Washington. I don't know which is which. Uh, maybe or one Oregon. Is Washington. Well, or- it could be Oregon. Yeah, yep. it could be Oregon. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. So I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed in my we don't colleagues know. that they have not named and shamed. They have only shamed. They have yeah. not, not, they have not named, but they have shamed, um, you know, and, and uh, I'm a little disappointed. I, I really want the, well, and also I really want the raw data because I want to do my own analysis, but yeah, I, I want to do a regression, <laughs> a regression right. analysis between funding and, and, and outbreaks. Cause I, that's, you know, but that's fine. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, they did a great job. I don't mean to. Uh, we just want know, to know just, who it is. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I just want to know. I just want to know like where, and I, I will bet you, um, uh, New Jersey, it, well, Jersey is certainly not in the top 25%. If we're lucky, we're in the middle 50 and we might be easily be in the bottom uh, well, quarter. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I hope that, that the authors shared with public health people in the States, which state number they are, so they can use this within their, um, you know, within the legislative system to, to advocate for funds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like a, I like a good name and shame like as much as you do or but name I, and I mean, promote. but I, but I understand. I mean, if they, yeah. if they actually did that, you know, this might be the, the last work of this kind that any of them ever did. Right. 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 Well, but, but boy, you know, if, if somebody whose initials are MB, um, could either, could either drop, one drop, of them, either, either one of them, either one of them, <laughs> I, I'm not asking you, I'm just, you know, it's the Schrodinger's uncertainty um uh, michaels um uh you know could could arrange for uh that information to fall off the back of a truck into our inboxes i'm just saying it would not go unappreciated but i understand and you know and we could always we could always file a freedom of information act request probably and get right i know but we're not going to do that mainly because we're lazy yeah. maybe well, someone else no i'm no i'm Have you ever I'm, done that i'm i'm, I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, for for Pennsylvania raw milk uh, inspection data. So, oh, oh interesting. I, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's 50, 51 because uh, DC. Yeah, fifty one is not yet a state, but should be. Yeah. I I just assume that they're... without representation. Right. It's right on their license plate. License plates. Uh, <laughs> the first. So so we can. I, I guess we know that that uh, what we don't know is two through fifty because number one's Delaware. The first state and number 51 is is dc dc yeah not yet a state yeah now I, i'm sure there's someone listening who, who's um who's who's also think like making the um the case that 51 is also canada which is has been ah. referred to as the 51st state multiple times um so it'll be confusing on which one it is uh um so one one thing uh before before we leave this is I bet I, Don I bet that that someone tweets at us or uh, uh, either gives us a DM about how how wrong we are or publicly tweets at us for for um, asking for name and shame on this. Oh fine, um, yeah. oh fine, come at me, come, come at, at me, bro. Come at me, bro. I, don't, bro. I, don't, I don't I don't I don't care. I you know wh one thing Ben that I really hate is have you ever gotten one of those emails that's like, hi everybody. Um, we don't have everybody, not everybody has yet responded to this thing that we're asking you to do. Um, could those of you who have not responded, please respond. And that yeah. just really grinds my gears because generally I don't remember Ben, which right. means that I have to go and do it again. Yep. And because I'm kind of organized about things like this and a little bit compulsive, most of the time I've already done it. And, and in doing that, if it's looking at a calendar thing, 
I can see who the people are who have responded. Right. You know, and I, you know and I, is. and I could put in a little bit of work and I have been so tempted to do this on multiple occasions to say, oh, and yes, by the way, person one, two, and three and giving their actual names, uh, please do the thing. So we stopped getting this email, but then I just look like a jerk, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, name and shame. I am not afraid to name and shame. No, I no. I do it all the time to my colleagues at Rutgers when I need a response. I will call out the people who have not responded. Yeah. Because yeah. that's just the kind of jerk that I am. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I think it's I think it's okay to name to name and shame. Um what else what else we got going on in here? The most oh yeah, I talked we after we talked about uh cookies on porches. Mm-hmm. Um we got we've, we've already talked about uh how long can food sit out? Yeah. Um, I got, I must have put a reference letter, a reference, a warning letter in about Russ Davis Wholesale Incorporated. Why? But I didn't highlight anything. Why? So, so yeah, I don't you're know. One that puts those in. I do like them. Um, they, uh, I don't know what what I would have. They didn't have uh, cold pressed citrus juice uh, with hassan. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Allergen handling. Don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. But we I feel like we've gone past that one. Uh, yeah. So we I we do we did get some feedback on Risky or Not episode 305. Oh yeah. Um, which from our good uh friend and colleague Two Bits Shy, who says I might direct your attention to food code citation 5-501.17, which states a toilet room used by females shall be provided with a covered receptacle for sanitary napkins. Um and my response is, well, thank you very much, but the name of the podcast is not compliant with the code or not. Right. right. Um, uh, and, and yeah. And so when I search for that citation, I find exactly what, what two bits says. Um, but that same string of text appears twice more in the code annex. Okay. But with no helpful explanation. Right. So in other words, okay, fine. I get that it's in the code, but in the annex, which is where the public health reasons are, they're supposed to explain, right? Um, in one case, it's part of a generic section, which talks about avoiding attracting pests. In the other case, there's this bizarre sentence. A, a toilet facility should be assessed to determine if it is not an attractant to insects, the number of fixtures are adequate, toilet tissue and a covered trap trash receptacle ladies room only are provided fixtures are not being kept clean and the door self closes to prevent recontamination of hands so my response is i guess insects don't go into men's rooms yeah um right yeah right. and then and then I, I search for sanitary napkins and i find the citation and then an, an index entry so yeah so basically FDA has not provided justification for the statement in the code. So we should, you know, we should, Don, you want, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're on a thing. We're on a tear here, right? <laughs> here we go. Let's we should do this. Jerks. There they go. Can we just, with the code. Can we just strike it? Can we put yeah. this? Let's, yeah. let's put an issue. Yeah. Let's, let, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm putting this into Omni. We're yep. just going to go yep. ahead and say yep. due to in, insufficient data, this yep. and the fact that it's misogynist. Yep. Oh, this yep. should be stricken from yep. the code. Yep, absolutely. Okay, on it. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. I'm in. And 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 I don't I don't care if this is uh, I don't. Well, you know, <laughs> we, could, we could actually take it seriously. 
uh, and do like do a literature search on a microbiological. Yeah. Well, and it, but again, it's not it's not whether sanitary napkins are or are not risky. No. It's, are they or are they are they not risky relative to other things that you might find in restrooms? Right. Right. Which would include more risky. Well, really, right, right. What right. They, do they do yeah. they warrant being called out? Right. Yeah. Um, and they yep. don't. And it, and it shouldn't I, be a, yes. two points on your inspection because of it. Like if we're if we're in a risk based system, that's yep. the yeah. Okay, yep. I've put this into OmniFocus. Food code change, sanitary napkins. Get rid of it in the code. I will uh, follow up with you, and we'll we'll continue mm-hmm. down our um, our conquest of uh, of writing of writing the wrongs that are in the code. Um, there was one other thing talked about frozen dessert frozen we did we i think we did the i think we did this frozen pizza yeah um feedback as well i think we're do we do pregnant women um feedback pregnant women yeah so we did yeah we did we talked about this okay well no no we didn't we did not sorry we put this in here yeah so um, we, we uh, a deep New England, uh, longtime listener of our show, asked a question, um, and I'll I'll read from it, uh, you know, directly. I'm wondering if you have any insight with the food code does not include pregnant women in its description of individuals at the highest risk of foodborne illness. So FDA on their website includes pregnant women as high, highest risk. USDA includes pregnant women um, in, in their messages, but the food code 2017 doesn't m- m- mention pregnant women as a highly susceptible population. And the, what, the, what the highly susceptible po- population is defined in the food code as persons who are more likely than other people in the general population to experience foodborne disease because they are immunocompromised pre-age school children or older adults and obtaining food at a facility that provides services such as custodial care, healthcare, assisted living, such as a child or adult daycare center, kidney dialysis center, hospital, nursing home, or nutritional uh, or socialization services, such as a senior center. So, so the question really was, we know that um, pregnant individuals are at higher risk for foodborne illness. Why are they not called out as a highly susceptible population? And so I answered an, a kind of rambly message that I was all voice to text <laughs> that, that was like, blah, 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 wrong words, really long. It, the food code's not about this. And then I re- reread it and just did it again. Um, and so I'll read my, you know, my, my more succinct response. The food code refers to highly susceptible populations, not individuals who are at high risk for foodborne illness. That's different, Right. It are the highly susceptible populations that have specific food establishments that the food code covers with additional protection. So it's it's a call out, right? Like highly susceptible. If you think about um, someone who's immunocompromised, well, that would, might be someone who's getting food in a hospital. Right. Food code is deals with someone yeah. in a hospital differently. Right. 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 Well, and the and the issue is, is 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 the facility feeding highly susceptible people? Right. right. Not are the people in that facility highly susceptible. Right. Yes. Which, right. So so a restaurant that uh, that that somebody who's undergoing chemotherapy comes into doesn't have to worry about that. But if you're if you're in a hospital where you've got people in, well, and you could say, well, if you were a maternity 
wing of a hospital or something right yeah. or like yeah. if you were yeah like but they're already that, covered or, but but they're already yeah well yeah. right so so what would it be if, if you were a home for unwed mothers right um if you were a facility that was feeding pregnant women on a regular basis that was not a hospital you would be yes. covered yes. you would have to 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 basically deal with be be you would be covered under this 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 part of the code right yeah it, it, i mean Essentially, yeah, because I think it would fall under immunocompromised. But I think where right. well, right, yes, yeah. well, that's that's a very good point, yes, yeah. But I think where where deep New England was coming from was, well, why don't we treat like if a pregnant individual is to eat there, then that's a highly susceptible population. But but if a pregnant individual goes into Subway, and in right, like like to your point, yeah. that they they don't. It's not a Subway is not just for pregnant individuals. There's nothing that says pregnant individual can't eat at Subway. But right. but Subway, it, it's not realistic that they would be held to a highly susceptible population feeding site because not all the people that are there are exactly. highly susceptible. Yeah, exactly. And so I think I clarified it, and it, it is confusing, right? Like because. Well, but it, but again, yeah. that, but bullet point number two is such as right. Yeah. And this is a this is the problem with with lists like this in the code is the lists are never complete, but they're not meant to be complete. They're meant to be examples. Right. Right. Um. And, and but I but I do think it's an interesting one for for us to like talk about because yeah, FD like and I think FDA would very much say yeah, of course we think that pregnant individuals are. Um, at greater risk, but it doesn't make them a highly susceptible population as per what we're doing with the output of the code, that that triggers a whole bunch of other things. Um, so yeah, no, it was a good. It was a good question. Hey, so I've got a, I think we need to call it a show yep. unless there's something else I got a, nope. uh, I got a four minute from now hard out. So me, uh, me too. Oh, me well, too. it's perfect. Um, okay. Well, awkwardly we'll wave at each other without our cameras on and say, bye. 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 just rescheduled oh but that's okay month's still month's month still fully scheduled You're still there yep yep my heart out i told my heart out that i have um this is a 30 minute meeting because that's oh. all it needs to be mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and the meeting request came for an hour and 20 minutes, which Oof. is a very odd time, but it won't that's, be an hour. It doesn't matter. That's, that's weird. Yeah. And people, sometimes people pay attention, sometimes not. Um, but it's okay. Uh, so two weeks from now, does that look like that is a perfect week for me. If we could do this, like sure. Wide open on the sixth, literally nothing wide open on the fifth, nothing on my calendar. Uh, the seventh, I have a thing at one o'clock the eighth. I got a couple of things. So yeah, if you picked six, fifth, sixth, or seventh. And pick a time. Yeah, let's let's do seventh okay. at um two p.m. So the only thing, ah, uh, yeah, that'll be fine. Actually, I have something that's at one, but it's a it's a weekly standing meeting now about the renovation of our building. And Don, I know I don't need to be there for an hour <laughs> because right now we're talking about asbestos testing, which is not none of our people are in there. So. Yep, I will be totally fine. 2 p.m. July 7th. It is a go. Perfect. Awesome. All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.